Hello and welcome once again to Podcast in the Woods. As always, I am your host, Boomer. And joining me is the wonderful and amazing Gabby. Gabby, how are you doing today? Wonderful and amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling spry today. No, okay. Yeah, we're gonna go yeah. with <laughs> we're gonna go with all of the cliches. <laughs> all of it. Well, I am. I'm I'm feeling fantastic. Uh because I have really, really, really been looking forward to this day. Uh, I did not hint this at all. I had been very, very good, not spoiling anything that we had coming up on the horizon. Uh, but today is a very, very special episode. Uh, today we have joining us B. Harrison Smith, writer and director of several, several films. How are you doing today, sir? Yay! I'm doing okay. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I, I just, I love the title too, Podcast in the Woods. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here and uh, thanks for having me. Oh yeah, it is. It, it's, it's truly an honor. It's funny, like the first time that I heard about one of your films was the special. And I know like you and I kind of interact every so often on Twitter. And so I, I watched that one and you know, had had no idea what I was in for going into it the the first time that I saw it. <laughs> and it's funny because I found it on Prime Video, and it was one of their suggested because it was pretty close to when it first came out. And sure. they had like the little tagline or or the kind of a brief synopsis saying it is society mixed with a blob. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that sounds pretty neat. Uh, so I dived right in. I was like, holy shit, I was not prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when that guy is banging the box, it's kind of like, uh, did, didn't see that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that though, was very confusing, actually, <laughs> when I watched it. I was like, did I blink too long? I don't, what is he, who is he fucking? It's a box. Yep. Yeah, that was. Yeah, there's a whole story behind all that. We'll, we'll get into it then. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, great feedback on the special. The special is done very well. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But I always love hearing the uh, the what the fuck was that? That's <laughs> I, I enjoy that very much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that though is like kind of right up my alley. I really, really enjoy movies that, you know, you're you're not either not prepared for uh, or that just go <laughs> way, way out there and take you on that kind of journey. And so I, I thought it was going to be a little bit I, I thought I was in for this like fun kind of blob ride. And it, it was not that. And I. Yeah absolutely dug it for for being that and going some of the places going some of the places that it that it went to and so i kind of sought you out on twitter and like i said we we kind of had the you know our little interactions and then you did an interview with some friends of ours uh ian from uh pot of the damned yeah uh, and hi ian since, yeah <laughs> shout out to Ian. yeah he's he's an amazing amazing guy and Ever since then, I'm like, okay, we have got to have uh, Harrison Smith come on the show because I'm, I'm I'm dying to talk to the mind that is is behind some of these some of these films that I love. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we'll jump we'll jump right into this and we'll start with a softball question first. Sure. And so, us being a horror podcast, I always like to find out, especially somebody's first time on the show, what's your favorite horror film? 
Well, it, it depends on what you define as horror. Uh, I'm going to say the, the movie that has disturbed me the most and has stuck with me all these years because in the end, I feel it's come true is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1979 with Donald Sutherland and Brooke Ooh, Adams and uh, Jeff Goldblum, Veronica Cartwright, Leonard Nimoy, the whole thing. Um, Philip Kaufman just did such a brilliant exercise in paranoia that uh, to me, I... I, my, I, I, well, I wrote a book about this, that it's called This Time It's Personal, because horror is personal for everybody. What scares you may not scare me and vice versa. There are people that watch The Exorcist and are mortally terrified of it. And yet there are others that find it the funniest thing they've ever seen. So it all comes down to, you know, your, your personal experience on this. So for me, uh, what I have always found, and, and I think that's why society today uh, really scares me is the concept of, um, you know, when, when people change around you and you feel like you're the last one and that, that vibe, that theme has always resonated with me, especially like on the twilight zone, uh, with, uh, eye of the beholder, uh, the monsters are due on maple street, uh, which I find, I think for me, the monsters are due on maple street is my most favorite episode of the twilight zone because, we're living that now as well, too. So um, that's that's my answer for that. Uh, I am a big champion, though, of uh, Lake Mungo from Australia, okay. 2009's oh, Lake Mungo. Yeah. Uh, I remember writing the director. I, I emailed the director after I was done watching, and I said, congratulations, you've, you've made a movie that for the first time in 25 years, I'm going to bed with the lights on. Nice. So... Yeah. Uh, I really, really am a big proponent of, of Lake Mungo. I, I think it's, it's brilliant. And um, so I think that, that would answer your question. I, I hope I batted that softball question right back to you. No, yeah, that's, that, that's fantastic. And I, I do love that answer because I, and I, I'm kind of the same way. I, I feel like, you know, horror is, a horror movie is whatever you think a horror is. Right. Um, I, I, I will never be, one of those people that say, oh, well, that's not a horror movie because right. you're, 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 you're right. There are things that, uh, and that's the wonderful thing about horror is, is there is so much diversity out there that. Well, it, I got, it was, in, I got into a bit of a beef with the guy on Twitter. What goes, what a surprise. Um, <laughs> and uh, because I, I classified for myself, I classify uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest as a horror movie. It's a social horror film. Absolutely. In my opinion. And uh, I don't find it a comedy. I, I don't find it a dark comedy. I, I don't find it even um, comedic satire on society. I find it as a social horror film. Nurse Ratched is a monster. And uh, what she does, and in the end, what happens to Jack Nicholson is uh, nothing short of what takes place in a horror film. And the monster wins at the end. I mean, I know that we have this whole thing. Well, you know, Chief you know, liberated him, blah, blah, blah. And then she, I don't find anything uplifting about the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I find it a dark commentary where, where evil wins. Nurse Ratched won. And uh, I, I think Louise Fletcher's Nurse Ratched might be one of the most compelling, uh, terrific villains. Now, excuse my dog, because this has to happen as soon as I get on an interview. Um, 
but I, I think Nurse Ratched is is probably one of the most compelling villains ever made. I mean, right up there in the top three of all time villains. Uh, Louise Fletcher more than earned that Oscar, and and from that day on, from watching her, I could never trust Louise Fletcher again. Even though I'm sure she was a lovely lady. Um, the fact is, is like, even when I was a teenager in high school, I saw Firestarter, uh, 1984, and I, I was on a date. And, uh, when they got to the scene where Louise Fletcher is married to Art Carney and, uh, comes out of the farmhouse, I turned to my date. I said, oh, no good can come of this. I mean, it's first <laughs> ratchet, you know, like she's going to betray them. There's going to be something wrong here. And it wasn't, she played a, a nice role, uh, but it's a real testament to Fletcher's acting and um, because there are real Nurse Ratchets. That's the problem. Nurse Ratched's evil comes from the belief that she was doing good, that she was justified. She, she didn't do what she did to Billy Bibbitt uh, simply because she wanted to be evil. She felt that she was doing the right thing in reporting him and, um, and what happened to him was just a tragic consequence, but really brought on by Billy's own actions. So that's what makes Nurse Ratchet evil, in my opinion, that she is in the firm belief that she is in the right. And we have too many Nurse Ratchets in our society. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, that, that not only is that, is that well said, when you want to talk about uh, horror or you know how people define uh, horror, I, I think some of the scariest stuff is the the movies that kind of reflect what is happening in our culture so you know absolutely it's not may not necessarily be like all the, the monster flicks and stuff like that i kind of get a kick out of and i love them the werewolf movies but yes sure. what truly scares me is something that we visit on a day-to-day -day basis yeah yeah that's why it, again well said I, I i don't i don't mind monster movies i don't mind possession movies like none of that stuff bothers me what really bothers me is a, you know, a last house on the left kind of film, um, wrong turn, uh, things where really the evil is, you know, the evil that men do. And, and that's the problem. And um, I'm not a, I don't know how to phrase this properly, but um, I, I, I don't, I'm not a, a proponent, that's the wrong word, uh, I, I don't feature rape in my films because it's such a horrific act. Um, and I, I feel it's, I understand where it's been placed and I understand that, but like the first time I saw Last House on the Left, uh, that, that really disturbed me. Like it really bothered me. And uh, the same with I Spit on Your Grave. Um, you know, it's even, this is gonna sound silly, but even as a kid, I remember, I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I saw it on HBO late night. I, that's where I caught a lot of my horror as a kid, man, was HBO late night. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, on the clicky cable Roger, box. Oh, yeah. The boink, boink. Yeah. Boink. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it had like the 20-foot cord so you could sit in the chair and press your button to get HBO. Um but there was a Roger Corman horror film with Sid Haig, Robert Englund, before Robert Englund was Robert Englund, uh, called Galaxy of Terror. You remember that? Yo, yeah. And uh, it was an alien, it was an alien ripoff, 1981, I believe it was. But anyway, uh, the point is there's a scene where a woman, she, 
it, the, the premise of the movie is all your fears come to life on this planet. They manifest. And this woman has a fear of worms. And there's this scene where this giant Ew. worm rapes her. Ew. And I found it disturbing as hell. Like, even as a kid, like, there was no, like, you know, they really tried, like, they put her in, like, this Vaseline. And she was be built beautifully. I mean, she was gorgeous. And you would think as like a, a teen boy in you know, a heterosexual full-blooded teen boy that man i'm gonna see some boobs and this girl's gonna be hot i was totally repulsed by the scene like and and i guess that's what corman was going for um but i remember it bothered me like i took that scene away from the movie and and the movie isn't very good it's it's good from a so bad it's good point of view but that scene ugh. Like, you know, That's and foul. It, it was really foul. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there there wasn't any like satire to it. There wasn't anything like, oh, that's funny. Oh, she's getting raped by a war. Like it, it just if you go and watch the scene, you'll understand, I think, when, when you see it. Um, but it was definitely the most disturbing thing I had seen, not only in that movie, but for quite a while. And, and it stayed with me. It kind of haunted me. Um, so yes, horror is, I believe, well, like I said, I wrote a whole book on it. It's personal. I just know? put it in my and, Amazon cart. <laughs> yeah, good. I, I hope you enjoy it. It's it's not just the history of horror. It's it's about when I went to see these things in theaters and the experience of watching these, because this is the problem now, right? Movies are not meant to be watched on this. Yeah. They're not meant to be watched, on, even in the biggest home theater that you have that's not what they were meant to do movies are a unifying factor they're they're to bring the fabric together and bind it tighter and with this technology uh quentin tarantino just said something very cool in the news uh just maybe an hour ago i saw it, where he said that you know ryan reynolds is getting paid 50 million dollars to be in this netflix movie and basically nobody's gonna see it there's no event to it anymore like It'll be this big movie on Netflix, but if you don't have Netflix or if you don't catch it, it's not like how it was when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out and everybody had to see that. You know, now it'll go here, it'll go there, and it'll just kind of vanish into the ether. Now Reynolds will walk away with a 50 million. It's kind of like what Tom Hanks made that movie Otto, right? Who's seen? Yeah. I'm sure Hanks walked away with a hefty salary for that. I mean, he's commanding 20, probably 30 million a picture. So he walks away with this, this, you know, big price day, payday. And for what? Like, how many people are going to watch auto? You know, like, yeah. you go out today. Like, you can figure that out. Go out today. Go out to a cafe. Go go to somewhere where you're with your friends tonight and say, hey, have you seen auto on, on Netflix? What? What? Tom Hanks movie. Oh, I, I saw that as I was flipping around. But nah, I, I didn't see that. But he's commanding, his, his salary stays the same. And that's the same like with Ryan Reynolds. Um, it, it's, we're in a weird time. And there's nothing like the experience of the time that I watched Friday the 13th, the final chapter in a theater when I was an usher at that theater. And- oh, uh, wow. Uh, the, the, the people were screaming so loud. You could hear it out in the mall. And like, there was a point where I had to block my ears in the back because of the screams at the end. That is fun. That is terrific. 
And we're just, you don't get that on a phone. You don't get that on a tablet. You don't get that in a home theater. Um, and, and that's a problem. Like, and let's go away from horror for a moment. Even though I'm a fan of the Richard Donner cut of Superman too, and I'm not a superhero guy. Um, I appreciate them. I understand why they're popular. They're just not my thing. But I liked the first two Superman movies because they were events. And I remember sitting in that theater as a boy in the summer of 81 and that scene where Superman came back and the, the newspaper blows like, you know, off the, the stack of papers on the street and you know that Superman is back, right? Like he didn't give up his powers for forever here. And when he flies up to that window and he says, General, would you like to step outside? The fucking audience went nuts. I mean, like people stood up and screamed and cheered and shouted. And that is what movies should do for us. Instead of dividing us and fighting with each other over whether Star Wars sucks now or, you know, that's all we do now. All we do is pick everything apart and we have our camps and we have our fiefdoms and we have our pro Disney and our anti Disney and we have our pro Ryan Johnson, last Jedi, and we have fuck Ryan Johnson, last Jedi teams. <laughs> and, and that's what we have. And we're not talking about the stuff that brings us together anymore. That's what movies used to do. Even something as dumb as Friday the 13th, like for a moment, 250 people in a dark theater are all together. It doesn't matter who you voted for. It doesn't matter if you're red, you're blue, Democrat, liberal, conservative, nobody cares. We're just all there and we're having fun and we're not doing that anymore. It's it's not happening. And, and now people go, ah, oh, why do I go to the theater? It, it, you know, it's day and date. It'll, it'll be on streaming next week. It'll be this. And that's a shame. It's a real shame because the one thing that has culturally bound us together is our art. And we're seeing that go away. And, you know, we're seeing that like, look, the writers are all on strike right now because of streaming and the threat of AI. I'm going to be the negative guy here. AI is going to take it all over. They may postpone it for a while. They may force the studios to come to their knees for a moment. But I'm telling you, what the studios are looking for, and I know this from experience, they are looking for the perfect algorithm. Give me a movie that's like Die Hard, but with an alien and has a romantic interest like uh, Romancing the Stone and spit it out. And that's what's going to happen. You have no residuals, no royalties, no pension and health. Uh, the AI never gets sick. It won't go on strike. I'm telling you, People are like, oh, fuck you, Harrison. That's not going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay. I can totally see that happening. It's going to happen. And that's yeah. because the studios want it. So I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but let's go back for a moment to prove my point on this. Let's go all the way back to when cable came around, right? HBO, Cinemax, Prism, all those bullshit things. Hollywood started to realize something. There's more than just like, look, when a movie came out, you saw it in theaters or you didn't. And you waited up to maybe two to five years to see it on broadcast TV. That was it. And a movie back in the day could stay in the theaters for a year. 
All right. I mean, like the Godfather, even Halloween. Halloween was in the theater for like six to eight months. It just was all over the place. But it takes a while for it to build. They start unlimited, then they build out, they go to the suburbs, then you have the multiplexes. The old time theater disappeared. The one screen went away, then you have eight screens. You have four screens, eight screens, 10 screens, 12. It's just started going. So then we black boxed everything right just shove people into black boxes everywhere just get in there sit down next show get them out and i know because i ran a black box theater of eight separate theaters in a mall for years so i watched this now you get vcrs now people can record they can do all this and suddenly hollywood realized we can take our films and we can put them on video and the first video transfers that came out were all shit like crappy pan and scan, you know, you're missing a third of the movie on each side. You're, they're cropping, they're going in and they're, they're punching close-ups on people. And then when you watched it in Letterboxd, you realize, oh my God, I've been watching like half the movie. Okay, they cut people totally out of things. But Hollywood didn't care because these were quick cash grabs. There should have been a meeting of all the studio heads and they should have sat down and they should have said, all right, listen, we have a major cash opportunity here. However, we should probably hold certain films that are very culturally relevant back. We should probably not release these films and then release them theatrically maybe every five, 10 years to bring people back in and make an event because these are event motion pictures, whether it's Gone with the Wind, whether it's Lawrence of Arabia, whether it's The Wizard of Oz, but no, the cash was just too tempting. And they threw out these shitty pan and scans, terrible art box covers, everything. And I know because it was beta and VHS, the picture quality was grainy. It, it wasn't good, but they made their money. But the problem then is now it's out there, right? Now it's all out there. You can't bring it back. You can't do anything. So then they come up with letterbox editions, then special editions. And then recolorized editions to keep you buying the same thing over and the money is just rolling in. But the problem is studios didn't care. So now you have a studio executive like Barry Diller who loves to get into the news every so often because he's a retired Fox you know, chairman and now says, well, that's it. The, the end of Hollywood. Movies are over. Yeah, asshole, because you presided over the time when you could have preserved a lot of this but you didn't do it. You took the money, you took the big fat paydays, you took the bonuses, and now you look at everybody and go, good luck. Don't know what to tell you. I'm retiring, I'm out. I'm gonna go cruise the world on my super yacht. Okay, that's what I'm gonna do. But good luck with everything now because all these movies have been diminished. And although there is the wonder and the greatness of I can pop Alien in at any time or Rocky and I can watch that, what the experience was is watching Rocky with an audience. The experience of watching Alien as a boy with a packed theater, um, that's gone. Now you have revival houses, which are great, but my point is with AI, they're gonna do the same damn thing. They're gonna do, and they're gonna do it also digitally with actors. So right now, if I were Harrison Ford, Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, all of them. I would be trademarking my image. So when I'm gone, people have to negotiate with my estate to use me because I promise you 
you will have one day where you can sit down and watch a James Bond movie with your favorite Bond, whether it's Connery, Moore, Craig, it doesn't matter. Hell, you want Lazenby? Bring him back. You want Timothy Dalton? Bring him back. And you you will. The technology's not there yet, but it's coming. And you'll you'll have an Indiana Jones as Harrison Ford that will never age. And he'll be in all new adventures. That's where it's going to go. And you don't have to pay him. You don't have Harrison Ford breaking an arm, a leg, smashing an airplane, whatever it's going to be. You don't have any of that nonsense anymore. And you don't have to pay residuals anymore. You might have to pay a fee to license Harrison Ford's image. But otherwise, that's it. And you don't have to worry about drug overdoses. You don't have to worry about scandals. Your digital characters aren't going to go out and do anything scandalous. They're not going to ruin anything. They're there to be programmed. And people go, no way. It'll always be more creative with people doing it. Really? You see the shit we're getting now? Really? Live action versions of cartoons? That's creativity? Really? Look where we've gone with the Marvel movies. They're the same goddamn movie every time. Look at the posters. They're the same. Line up those Marvel posters and start looking at them. It's the same thing. It's Robert Downey Jr. holding Gwyneth Paltrow and just, oh, just different villains around him and shit exploding on the poster. That's all it is. Take the same template, roll it. We're already doing it. The same thing with horror. Oh, well, I guess now we're in the... Uh, you know, the Blumhouse, uh, you know, ghost phase. So we're going to just keep making the same possession movie over and over and over. And then we're going to reboot it. Then we're going to give you a spinoff. We're going to paranormal activity, the shit out of this one. And it'll go for 10, 10 installments till we just can't do anymore. Then we'll retire it. Then we'll reboot it. That's what we're doing. What's yeah. the difference? Yeah, and they're already doing that. Like, I mean, with with Star Wars. I mean, we we talked yeah. about Star Wars, but with Peter, we we got Peter Cushing in in, in Rogue One and stuff like that. And so, his yeah. family, from what I understand, was not happy. Yeah. From what I understand, the estate is like, all right, we get it, but how much money did we lose on this? Right? How much? Because that's what the studios will try to do too. Because look, the technology is way ahead of the law. We don't know, like. These dumb studio execs, they don't even know what to do with this. Like, and that's what they're going to do, man. Like, I don't know if you, you're too young to remember, but I remember, maybe you're not, when Napster debuted. Oh, yeah. And when Napster debuted, yeah. I knew it then. Like, until the technology catches up. But what happens when we start Napstering movies, right? And nobody thought about that. Or if they did... The executives that were in charge in the 90s at that time went, fuck it, leave it to somebody else to worry about. I'm getting mine right now. Right there, Napster was the beginning of the end. It was like as soon as the technology allowed, look, back then it took 30 minutes to download three a three megabyte song, okay? What happens when, well, then DSL comes along, then you get your cable modems. Once the cable modems came, that's it, man. Then you're torrenting right? Then that shit's going. And now you're swapping movie files. And then the industry's going, what? What? What's happening? You didn't see this coming? For God's sake, they saw it coming. They just didn't care. They just didn't care. And that's when Barry Diller was still in charge of Fox, I believe, at that time, or one of the studios. He floated around to a bunch of them. But they were just all getting theirs. I am promising you, AI is going to wipe it all out. 
they're already a if I were a makeup artist, like a special effects makeup artist, I would be really worried about my job because CGI has already done a number. Wait until now when I can just do text to image for video image and just type in, I want a six foot tall creature with mandibles like an ant and it, it moves left to right or use some type of modeling software where you position it in X, Y axis and it's coming and you're not stopping it. It's, it's going to come. People have argued with me online. No, it'll never replace flesh and blood writers and creativity. There is no creativity going on. We don't want creativity. Creative movies don't get made anymore by the studios. They get made by independents. That's the problem. You want another Conjuring movie? There you go. Oh, there's a Conjuring TV series for it. Let's just keep cranking out the same shit over and over again because that's what you want. There is what, what creativity. You know, we're, we're only two clicks away from AI doing the whole thing anyway. So I'm, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> I like I'm it. sure you have questions. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> well, that's, that's been B. Harrison Smith, everyone. No. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no, that's that, that's fantastic. And I, I, I agree. And that's part of the reason why I do love independent film so much is because there there is still the the freedom and the and the creativity that are allowed to these the filmmakers and actors and uh, you know like you said special effects artists and all that where they can continue to do the things and see their vision come to pass and you know speak, speaking on that like and we'll 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 get this um get this back I promise we'll we'll come back around but um when uh, you decided, okay, I'm going to be a, a filmmaker. This is what I want to do. How How is it that you chose the the horror genre? Um, you know, I know that there's a lot to say, but there's also a lot to say in comedy. Um, you could, you know, if you're, if you're a creative mind, you could do whatever it is in any, any genre of film. So what is it about horror uh, that holds that appeal for you? Well, if you look at my filmography of all also done a comedy. I did Garlic and Gunpowder, which is yeah. a, a screwball comedy, very much like it's Mad, 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 Mad World, which is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Right. Um, the, the real answer is, is see my film The Fields with Cloris Leachman and Tara Reid. Uh, that's the true story of what happened to me as a boy. My grandmother loved horror movies. She loved them. And I was raised on a steady diet of them. So... Uh, I had a pretty tumultuous childhood as a boy, a uh, lot of uh, domestic problems at home between mom and dad. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents on their farm. Our farm came under attack uh, by people that literally came out of the corn and they smashed the windows. They cut the power lines. They killed the dogs. Oh my goodness. Um, it was, you know, in my mind, it was Charles Manson and, and his Manson girls uh, that was not the case, but in the movie, that's what they're envisioned as, you know, as, as this kind of thing. Um, it went on for about two weeks of pretty much sheer terror. And then it, then it stopped as suddenly as it started. But in that time, uh, the movie also shows that I would sit up late with my grandmother and I'd watch horror movies. I would watch the CBS late night movie where I caught, you know, let's scare Jessica to death and, uh, don't be afraid of the dark and all all of these great and I by the time I was seven eight years old I could tell you the names of Lon Chaney and Boris Karloff Peter Laurie Peter Cushing I knew them all you know and my grandmother who never left the house I don't know how she did this 
but my grandmother was kind of like living DVD commentary because she would sit there and tell me all these stories about, oh, well, you know, Boris Karloff, the guy who's playing the monster, you know, he, he had a bad back because they put these rods in the back, you know, to make him stand up straight in these lead boots that put a lot of strain on his back. I don't know how she knew this. There were no books. There wasn't internet. There were no scandal magazines to read all of this. I, I don't know if she retained it from the time because she was young when the movie came out. I, I don't know, but she got me addicted to it. And then I saw Jaws when I was uh, eight years old in the theater. And Jaws was the first movie that I saw where the audience stood up and applauded at the end. It got an ovation. And that made an impact on me. And I said to my mom in the parking lot, I want to make movies. And my mom's like, okay, I guess you've abandoned the dinosaurs and archaeology. You want to make movies? And I said, that's exactly what I want to do. And ever since then, that's, that's where it went. And horror has always been good to me. It, it's always been... It's been my uh, safe harbor, I think is the best way to put it. Now, my life got incredibly better once my stepfather came into the picture. I moved to a town called Stroudsburg in the Poconos in sixth grade. I had the best graduating class you could have ever wanted. Um, I, I had so many friends. I became popular. I was the class president. I lived a John Hughes life in high school. I really did. We even had the wacky foreign Japanese exchange student. Like we really did have one. And um, so for me, horror has always just been very good to me. And I've always enjoyed it. It, it brings me uh, happiness, I guess, is the best way to put it. And uh, I enjoy making it and I enjoy writing it. That's that's the best answer. So, so if you grew up in Stroudsburg, mm -hmm. do you know, have you ever met Stephen Cognetti? No. Okay. Are you no. familiar with him? No. Okay. He did um, the Hell House trilogy, Hell House LLC, my favorite oh, horror okay. movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he filmed it at um, Waldorf Estate of Fear in Lee Heighton. Oh, Lee Heighton. Yeah, that's right yeah. outside of Stroudsburg. It's about yeah, it's yeah, and yeah. When I when I go there, I take the Stroudsburg exit off the turnpike because I live in yeah. Pennsylvania too. Yeah. Yeah, I live in central PA. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So you're probably from me three hours, two, three hours, probably somewhere there. Where are you? Well, I'm in Lancaster now. That's about two, actually. Yeah, yeah I'm in Williamsport. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah, I know right where you yeah. are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Lee Heighton, uh, yeah, definitely. That's out what we used to call the West End. That's what we used <laughs> to call it. But yeah. Yeah, the first time I went there, it was really cool to go to hell house and then to the world's largest general store oh yes that's right <laughs> on 209 i know right yeah. what you're talking about yeah yes. and and waldorf is like literally directly next door to it their fence is the parking lot to the oh, general okay. store yeah. yeah yep that's really interesting but he, <laughs> he films a lot i think he films most of his things in that area most of his in films. the area yeah yeah, yeah. well i i don't know when he rose up for me i probably was not living in the area i moved out of the area in 2013 oh, okay so probably why our paths have not crossed i want to say he's our age i think he's i don't want to insult he'll never listen to this. who cares i think he's 40 ish i think yeah. he's around my age i don't know um but yeah that's 
as soon as you said Stroudsburg, I was like, no kidding. <laughs> yep, I graduated Stroudsburg High School. So you're in Lancaster. Do you film a lot of your stuff yes. in the area? Yeah, we filmed uh, the special here. We filmed where the scary. I knew from. it. I told you that, Boomer. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this looks like Pennsylvania. It yeah. looks like any, yeah, any town that you go through. Yeah, she said we, it's, we, it's not I dirty enough focused to be on, <laughs> Yeah, I, I <laughs> kind of focused on um, Pennsylvania during the pandemic. Where the scary things are was supposed to be an entirely uh, different location. Uh, but then the pandemic hit. And then Lionsgate came to me and said, you know, do you have anything? And it's like, well, I just sold my movie, The Special. And they were kind of like, well, can you unsell it? It's like, no, <laughs> I can't unsell it. Uh, but I do have this monster movie. And uh, at that time, you know, I had a bunch of investors from Wall Street to finance it for uh, about half a million. And then the economy went into the toilet with the pandemic. So yeah. it, was, it was like, well, then I, we went with their budget and I had to rewrite some things, but I shot it. I shot it all in Lancaster. So. Wow. That's so neat. Yeah, we we shot it at a real haunted house place, excuse me, a haunted house haunt called uh, Field of Screams. Shut up. I've never yep. been. I'm scared. Yep. Well, you I need have to a go. friend who literally peed in her pants when she was at Field of Screams. So, yeah, that's, that's well, that's I'm what scared. they want. So that's great yeah. advertisement. Yeah. 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 They, and they're, they're really nice people. They were very, very nice people and basically gave us the run of the entire campus. You know, that's really neat. Yeah, they were they were terrific, and and they have a, a wonderful haunt. I mean, it's it's top notch when you go there, top notch everything. So yeah, they're always changing it up every year too. That's what I love. It's never the same thing. Like if you went and you didn't go back for two years, when you go back two years later, it's going to be different. You know, usually some of those places you go, it's like, uh, that was like that when I was here two years ago. That's not feel the screams at all. Yeah. Um... Maybe someday I'll get the nerve, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she did. She went for, we was like a little weekend getaway with her fella yeah. and they went to Field of Screams and Shady Maples. That was their Shady big thing Maples. for the weekend. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Shady Maples. I know where Shady Maples It's a giant buffet. Yep. I, I've been to the buffet. You have? I've been to the buffet. See, okay. I can't ask any more questions because this is where it's going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Shady Maples now. I've never been to that either. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll, I'll ask. Um, sure. And it, not not about buffets, because I, I have no idea what, what Shady Maples no, is. But... <laughs> I know. Um, but you you both write and and direct uh, most of most of your films. Uh, so what was it that attracted you first? Did you start off as a writer and then want to direct? Or was it both or? Or how did that come up? I started off writing. I wrote stories as a boy. I wrote a lot of stories. And um, to learn how to write a screen, I never went to film school. I've never gone to one day of film school. I briefly went to Penn State for film, but I barely made it through a semester. Like, like I discovered the hot cheerleader down the hall. And it was like, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And, I just never went to yada, yada, yada. I never went to class. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it was one of those things. I always say I was invited not to return. So, uh, but yeah, then I, I started directing my uncle. 
my uncle JR got me a silent Super 8 movie camera for Christmas one year as a boy. I think I was in eighth grade. I I do still have it. And um, it took the cartridge, you know, you pop the cartridge in. And uh, so what happened was I I started making movies, but I made movies like Benny Hill movies because I love Benny Hill. So uh, I had my brother dress up in a dress and um, he was this uh, a superheroine. And uh, I had my friends be villains and it caught on. And then when I was in eighth grade, I had a wonderful reading teacher named Donna Haddon. And uh, I wanted to remake Mad Monster Party, the 1967 Ooh. Rankin Bass movie. And we had a TV studio in our middle school, Stroudsburg Middle School had a TV studio downstairs. But the geniuses built this thing right underneath the gym. So, you oh. know, yeah, you, you can imagine how that was for sound. Yeah. Um, and it was back when videotape was still reel to reel, you know, but I remade Mad Monster Party. It was black and white on video. I made all my friends be the monsters. I was Dr. Frankenstein. I actually have it. I have a link to it if you'd ever like to see it. Oh, yes, that's and, yes, uh, please. <laughs> yeah, I can send it to you. And um, from there, you know, then I started making other movies, uh, writing a lot of horror short stories and stuff. I had a, a I, I was always blessed with fan, Stroudsburg High School, a plug to Stroudsburg High School and Stroudsburg Area School District, because I feel I got an incredible education from Stroudsburg Middle School and High School. We had such avant-garde teachers and cool teachers They'd probably be fired today because God forbid we get anybody trying to think on their own and do critical thinking. But these, I was blessed with so many great, and I use blessed lightly. I really was, they shaped my life. And I had a number of great English teachers, uh, Ed Burnett, Patricia Schneider, but I had a great creative writing teacher named Mike Steen and he's still alive. I still talk with him and, uh, this guy would give me so much of his time. Like he would read my short stories. And even though they came back like massacred with red ink, you know, he taught me to be a better writer. And um, I loved him. I adored him. I respected him beyond belief. So I was always lucky to have these kind of people. And that encouraged my writing. But then in school, I started making these movies with my brother and the villains and Uh, That caught the attention of the local cable channel and they put them on. So I had my own TV show at 16 Um, and all my friends. Look, it's also a chick magnet because a lot of girls are like, oh, my God, could I be in one of your movies? It's like, absolutely. So, um, yeah. (laughs) So, yes, um, I had a blast. I was known in school as the filmmaker. Uh, I have friends now that are like, dude, you did it. I saw one of your movies. I I can't believe, you know, you always said you do this. That to me is probably the most satisfying. Uh, The fact that I I did what I said I was going to do. It says right there in my senior yearbook. Um, Although I did say I was going to be the next Steven Spielberg, which was quite arrogant. Um, I might be able to hold Steven Spielberg's notes sometime. (laughs) You know, uh, but the fact is, is, you know, that's, it's what I've always wanted to do. So I got lucky. That's that awesome. is really lucky. That's yeah. awesome. It is lucky. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm making my, and we're gonna be we're gonna be talking uh, about the special. So I and I've been sure. making I've been making my way through your your filmography. So so far I've seen Camp Dread and Death House. Uh, I've seen Where the Scary Things Are and and the special. So I'm 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 that far along right now. And to me, um, you know, obviously out of out of that group, the special is the most out there. And so yeah. what what is it? When when somebody watches that movie, what is your desired audience reaction when you make something like the special? That's a great question. Um, what I want is for uh, couples to have that awkward conversation, and that is, is <laughs> yeah. you know, like, is uh, the wife gonna go out and get her husband the special? You know, like, did, did have you cheated? That kind of thing. I I said that as a matter of fact when it premiered in San Francisco at uh, the Sci-Fi uh, Film Festival, and um, I said some of you are going to have some very awkward conversations on the way on the drive home tonight. So one of the best reactions was uh, we showed it. We premiered it in York, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, I remember it was about maybe two thirds of the way through, and I was in the back. I don't think this woman knew it was me, but she was dragging her husband and she's walking out and she goes, I have had enough of this. And she stormed <laughs> by me. And I was like, we did our job. Good. I, I, I want some people to walk out. You know, that's, that's terrific. Then you did your job. So, um, so was the wife me, cheating or not? In real, oh, in the movie? No. Yeah. That's what no, I thought. Okay. No, no, she was just texting. She was getting him a snowblower for his birthday. So, yes. okay. So but she wasn't cheating. Was, she, she was banging the snowblower guy. Yeah. No, she wasn't. He thought he was. He thought she was. And his buddy just egged him on, right? Like, hey, it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you look, she's texting this guy. Like, who texts a snowblower guy? Like, what do you think she's doing? And, you know, he's got a couple drinks in him in the opening. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. My wife's a bitch. You know, she's a cheating bitch and then makes a rash move, which will alter the course of his life. Yeah. So she definitely wasn't cheating. She just wasn't a very good gift giver. That's that's what it was. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, no, I got a snowblower as a gift last year and I was pretty freaking excited. <laughs> yeah. I, I think she, look, we never gave the backstory, but did he want one? Did he need one? You know, the, the fact was, is that she was, you know, I mean, look, she was a very dedicated wife. I mean, look at his reaction when she tells him she miscarried. Yeah. Right. He's just kind of like, all right. Yeah, I know. But I'm not feeling we'll talk about it later. We'll try again. She needs you. You know, she just lost her child. Like you can't even give her 10 minutes. You know, you're, you're, you're I have theories about him. What was that? I have a lot of theory. I have a lot of theories about that character. Sure. That, that I was going to bring up on because we were going to talk about it after we talked with you um I think he's a tool I think he always was I don't think that the box changed him I think that the box allowed him freedom because I think that the but okay I might be a little over analyzing here but I think the guy's a tool I think he's a dick and I think that his descent is not actually a descent it's an ascent he is becoming more and more wow. his authentic self because he's always been an asshole 
But why can't men be assholes all of the time, every single day? Because they need a woman. So you kind of shut that off a little bit. Well, now you can put your dick in a box. You don't need your woman anymore. So what right. the fuck do you care how she feels? Or you right. don't even have to pretend anymore. And so I think, wow. no spoilers. Um, I think you got what it deserved. And I I've think you deserved it from that. way before. Because I have a, another thing that, something that really bothers me when I watch movies. Is there's always the nice guy main character. And his best friend is a total douche. That's not real life. Birds of a feather. You know what I mean? Right. So Birds of a feather. the way that the obnoxious best friend is acting in the beginning, like, let's go, let's go, let's get you a hooker, I think is, yeah, because that's who he is too. And it really didn't take a lot of persuasion. No, not a bit. The not logical bit. answer. And he didn't even have concrete proof. Right. The logical answer like, oh. would have been you know, look, man, I don't know. I got a couple in me. I love her. She wouldn't do this to me. Maybe I should, you know, just talk to her about this. And no, it was kind of like, all right, I guess I'll go. You know, re the yeah. best revenge is revenge. Oh, yeah. okay. I guess I'll yeah. go. It was like, yeah, you didn't. it didn't take much to get him to do it. Well, it's like a a group of girls sitting around a table at lunch eating our salads and one girl goes do you think we should get a plate of fries and every other girl goes <laughs> no we can't get any fries come on we're eating our salads we're being good and then another girl goes i mean we could get a plate of fries and then finally the last so, oh yeah yeah you know what we should let's get the fries i mean that's yep. exactly what it was like i'll pretend to argue this yeah, But as soon as yeah. you said, I knew I was going to do it, but I'm going to pretend to still be, because another thing is um, for somebody with that personality type, him thinking that his wife cheating on him is actually happening. If it is indeed happening, somebody with that personality type, he would want to make sure that he's the victim no matter what. Right. So, so maybe he did waffle just a little bit. Because he's like, well, if she's cheating on me and I go out and do this and somebody finds out, then I'm in the wrong too. Can't do that. Vagina. Let's do it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of, the, the box brought out his real personality. Yeah. Because he's, he's not, he's not, look, look how he treats the cleaning woman. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Right. He, you know, comes rushing up into her face and you don't fucking go in there. Right. Like that's it. Let me tell you something. If man ever put his fucking finger in my motherfucking face like that, he's not getting it back. Right. And the only time that he started to really panic through the whole thing was when his body started breaking down. Yes. It wasn't my wife is dead. Holy shit. I'm losing my mind. Right. I'm addicted to having sex with a box. It's, I don't look good. Well, in the scene uh, where they're having sex on the bed um, at home, I, I made it very clear to both actors. I said, um, this is not a wild sex scene. I said, what I want is for you to hold her in place and not to dominate her. I want you to make her immobile, inanimate, because really you're not fantasy about this beautiful naked girl below you you're fantasizing about what's in the box so the only way yeah. he can have sex with her is if she's still like notice in the scene 
she's always trying to touch him and kiss him and he's pushing her hands away. He's, he doesn't want mm -hmm. any of that. He wants her to yeah. be still, to just be a box. That's what he wants. And we toyed with the idea and you can see hints of it at the end when she's on the shower floor and he's caressing her and he's, his hands going over her breast and stuff like that. Like I was going to do a necrophilia scene because now he's attracted to her because she's inanimate. Now he wants. Yeah. See, I, I, I get that. I see that. And I'm glad that you explained that because my interpretation of it was, again, this is just part of his becoming who he wants to be he yeah. wants to take what he wants he wants to take it how he can how he wants it that yeah. it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks right. or wants or feels you know and and I think I think a lot of women who watch that scene would identify with we've had a lot of partners like that not a well, lot that's, excuse that's me what really I'm sorry <laughs> I don't mean yeah. that but you know what I mean well like, that's what yeah. appealed to me about making the movie it's really uh a horror film really skewed toward the female audience. I, I was excited yeah. about that. Women love horror. And yeah, I, I call this it's a midnight horror chick flick. That's that's what it is. Uh, because really it it does address a lot of female issues that where men are, you know, these villains. Um, like look how it is when she comes to that motel room. She's expecting at best some trashy woman. And mm -hmm. at worst, a man, right? Like, is my husband yeah. really quietly gay? Is he closeted? And when she goes in and rips open that shower curtain and she's looking straight ahead, expecting to be looking into the eyes of a sex partner of her husband, there's nothing. And then she looks down and sees what she sees on the floor and her reaction is ours. What the fuck is that? Right. Like yeah. that's not what she was expecting at all. And then things happen. Right. Then he does what he needs to do to protect his sexual partner. Yeah. To to protect what what is his. Yes. Is what, what I is got. His. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. He doesn't it's, care about anybody else. Your life, right. your feelings, your well-being. None of it matters. None of it that's matters. Exactly. I need what I want. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. That actor was great because I really fucking hated him. Yeah, Davy, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, in real life, Davy is is just a sweetheart. He's the one of the nicest people. And you know, and he even said what I loved about him. I've worked with him now. Uh I worked with him briefly with six degrees of hell. I didn't direct six degrees, but um he was the killer in that. And then uh I had him in Camp Dread. He was Vinny in Camp Dread. Mm -hmm. And uh then he was in Zombie Killers. And I wanted him back for the special. Uh, and when I talked to him on the phone, I sent him the script. He read the script. And look, for an actor, how do you, how do you pitch this role? You know, you're going to be naked and I need you to stick your dick in a box, you know? <laughs> and I remember him saying, you're going to play this straight, right? Like, this isn't going to be spoof or for laughs. This is, this, this is like straight horror and i said absolutely because then i'll do it so he got it right it wasn't like the scenes where he's going to town on that box are fundamentally disturbing like there's nothing really comedic about it like he's sweating Not a bit. no you know like he's it says he's a lot into about it. Him, you know because there he is i mean he's yeah. 
before the cameras roll, he's standing there in a towel, drops the towel, goes over. You know, he didn't want any G string to be seen. He, he's doing it right. He's like, I'm going to get naked. And Sarah was the same way. Like Sarah was just like, I'm in it because of this role. There was, there was no, I mean, we always do close sets. Um, we're always very respectful with nudity and all of that, but that's how much they really got into the script uh, that they weren't so conscious of their own nudity. It was about getting this right to get the, the machinations right to, to convey the scene. And, you know, she wants her husband. She lo Look at what he says when she tells him I'm pregnant. What's his first line? Is it mine? Whose is it? Yeah, whose yep. is it? Right? Like, yeah. that's how you greet your wife? That's, you know. Oh, no, that's, no. Oh, what he said, it was so, it was so much even worse. He goes, are you sure it's mine? Are you sure it's mine? Correct. Yep. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Like he's projecting his own recent infidelity on her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Dude, you're the one who just went to a whorehouse and stuck your cock in a box. And now you're, you're, you're casting dispersions upon your wife. Like that's pretty misogynistic, you know? And, yeah. um, that's those are the subtleties I wanted it, you know, to to come out uh, that, you know, Jerry is actually a pretty complex character when you look at him. And so is the wife. The wife seems sweet and all of that. But there's something else there with her as well, too, that she's more than just a victim. And that's why she finally gathers up the courage when she gets that credit card statement. She's going to go find him. Let's let's go do this. Right. And then she, um, I think that's another another example of this has always been his personality. She doesn't mm -hmm. want to piss him off because right. he's the type of guy that like, oh, I'm mad at you. So I'm taking your credit card or, you know, I don't want you going out with your girlfriends. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to be mean. I'm going to pout. I'm going to I'm going to find every insult in the book to really get to you like kind of thing. So I think she's a little meek. I wouldn't call him abusive. I'm not saying that at all. No, um, you're right. But yeah, he's yeah, just he's not abusive. Petty. He's just a petty little yes. bitch. He's a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that assessment. Um, yeah. Like even when he comes home and she's like, oh, well, where were you? And he's like, well, you know, I'm working late, blah, blah. And she even still tries. She ends up coming into the room in a robe, naked under the robe, ready to, to bang her husband to please him. And yeah. he just happened to have, have that stuff to stick on his dick, you know, which gave her this incredible orgasm. But at the same time, it killed her fetus, right? Whatever That's was, really whatever that stuff was, killed what was inside of her. And then he's just like, well, we'll talk about it later. We'll, we can try again. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what dick. a douche. He's such a dick. Yeah. Well, it's crazy because we like we've gone over like how how much that we despise the characters. And there are a million examples out there on horror films or films in general where you can't relate or you don't like any of the characters and you instantly tune out the movie. It, it just, it, it yes. just becomes, uh, you know, not, not even entertaining. It, compelling is the, is the word that I was looking for. So it's just not compelling anymore, but yet you found a way and may, you know, and I know that filmmaking is a team effort. You've already talked about how the actors had this wonderful buy-in 
in this script, but how do you make a movie uh, compelling and interesting without liking or identifying with anybody in the film? Well, you know what? Let's shift gears for a minute to answer that question over to where the scary things are, which has a complete cast of reprehensible people. Right. Um, that's the point. The, the point is, how do you do that? By having an engaging story. So I remember one review that said of scary things, Harrison Smith gets points for creating a movie where pretty much every character is unlikable. But then in literally 30 seconds later says, maybe it's not literally, but around 30 to 60 seconds later says, but you know, the kids really aren't like the scary things kids. It's like, what do you want here? No, they're not supposed to be nice. The, the whole point of where the scary things are was a commentary on our kids today. It is a spin on the 80s formula of kids find something, right? They find the alien, they find the monster, they find sloth, they find whatever. What I always said was, you know, what would have happened if the Columbine kids found sloth? What would have happened if they found E.T.? They probably would have beat E.T. with a hammer. Yeah. Okay. They wouldn't have been like, oh, oh let's so take sad. I love him. Right. But that's what I'm saying. What if the wrong <laughs> kids found him? And that's what I wanted with where the scary things are. What if the wrong kids found the monster? Look, one, one review said, you know, oh, the kids don't act scared when the monster first appears. No, they don't. Because look at what they live with at home. They, nothing scares them like this. And they didn't even know. What is this? Is, is this some freak dressed up? They, they don't know. But look where they hang out. They hang out in a Halloween haunt. No, they're not scared. And how do they greet it? The thing may have been coming to them for help, for all we know. They beat it with a baseball bat, right? That's their answer. Instead of like, oh, can we help you? This thing collapses. It's in a weakened state, whatever it is. And they beat it. And then they, they tie it up and they, they imprison it, right? And then they torture it. These kids are the monsters. So they're supposed to be unlikable. There was one review that was like, oh, Smith committed, you know, the amateur mistake of making characters that are all unlikable. Wrong. It was a conscious decision to do so because these are the kids. Look, you notice there aren't any black kids in that, right? These are kids not from the hood. These are kids from upper middle class America that are committing murder. And when you look at the profiles of these kids shooting up these schools, where the fuck are they from? You don't hear of this going on in inner city Philadelphia. You don't hear of this going on in the ghettos of, of LA or the barrio. You don't hear of any of that. I mean, they've got their own problems, don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, this is a white upper middle class problem overall. Not 100% because there's always, a, oh, I can cite to you this example. Yeah, I know. What I'm saying is overall, we have a problem with our kids. And this is an overall white upper middle class problem. The kids who shot up Columbine were not from the trailer court. They, they weren't white trash. They mm -hmm. came from $500,000 up homes. They grew up in the same area as Jean Benet. And we all know how wealthy go. the Ramses were. Right. I just listened to a podcast about Columbine See? the other day, actually. 
But that's yeah. what I'm saying. These were kids who had, you know, all the, the extravagances, all the material things they, and where, wh I don't know, why wasn't this, you know, why, why isn't this happening in schools with, you know, high gang rates and crumbling buildings and infrastructure? We have a problem. That's what I wanted scary things to address. And, you know, some of the kids may not be totally bad, but they go along with it, right? Like the kid with diabetes, uh, Mighty. You know, I said to the actor, the boy who has it, I said, look, this is a thankless role. You know, you're, you're not going to get any big screen time. You don't have any great lines. Uh, uh, your job is to be the sycophant that goes along with everything. That's what you do, because that's what some kids do. Even at the end, he expresses a modicum of concern with the teacher. And he's like, guys, he's a teacher. But you just threw one of your classmates to this thing. And what was that girl's crime? Because she was scared and she annoyed the other girl. That's why you kill her. And, and look, they did what they did, not for money. They didn't monetize their channel. They did it for the likes. And what sets Ayla off? Fake. When people start saying, oh, this is fake. Yeah. It's fake. Right? So... The point was to create thoroughly despicable characters because I hate to break it to you. Those kids are out there. There are thoroughly despicable children out there and they have power of cell phones and they have access to guns and they have access to even worse things. And that's what's going on and nobody wants to talk about this. Every time one of these things happen, it's, oh, well, we got to ban all the guns or we got to do this, we got to repeal that. All the political footballs get punted all over the place, but nobody's doing anything. Nobody's talking about kids growing up in this vast wasteland of nothingness. They don't believe in anything. All they have are these stupid phones and they live their lives and they create their profiles and they live these empty worlds where they're not getting what they need. They're not, and I'm not saying that's the only problem because again, the internet loves to generalize and just suddenly say, well, there, there's more than that. Yes, we have mental health issues. We do have a gun problem. Yes, we do have things like that. But what I'm saying is we have a, a definitely an inordinate problem here with our kids. And they become, you know, uh, numb, I think is a good word for it. I mean, think about it. You know, the, the kids... The, this is the one, what inspired me to write this was the Slenderman stabbings. Remember oh, yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, that Think about so that. Those girls were friends with that girl since kindergarten. What possesses a kid to one day go, we should, we should stab her. We should kill her, take her out to the woods and let's do that. Devoid of any human conscience of any type of morality, of, of anything. And you take her out in the woods, whether under the pretext of we're sacrificing to some bullshit imaginary internet creature, what, whatever it may be, think about that. You, you grew up with this girl. It wasn't like they just randomly picked her, not that that would make it better. They knew her and they took her out in the woods and stabbed her and left her for dead. And how do you do that? How do you how do you even come to that decision to go? Yeah, this this is the right, 
right thing to do. This is what we should be doing. And no remorse. Look at the one girl that texts her boyfriend, kill yourself, and he did. Right? No remorse. Hey, what do you want me to do? He did it. I didn't, I didn't kill him. He did it. You know, and then they have this, we're seeing more of this. This is the invasion. We come back to invasion of the body snatchers here, right? People are turning into this. They're turning into these pod people. They're devoid of conscience. They're devoid of emotion. They're devoid of compassion. You know, the one girl that I read the article on uh, maybe a year ago put some kind of ceramic mix in, in her teacher's coffee and she, she miscarried as a result of it. Why? Because she flunked her on her one project. So I know I'll poison my teacher's coffee. That, that should be the right, that, that should be right. That sounds right to me. That she deserves that. This kind of thinking is beyond dangerous because some of these kids aren't committing these acts, but then they're gonna raise kids. They're gonna have kids of their own. And the sickness perpetuates and it continues to grow. We have a problem and nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about the mental health crisis we have. Nobody wants to talk about the, the gun uh, problem that we have and the easy access to these, these weapons. Look, let's just make it very clear for anybody listening to your podcast. I am not one, I, I'm a gun owner. I'm a registered gun owner. I have a permit to carry concealed. Um, I'm not ready to go out and shoot up my movie theater. I'm not ready to go climb a clock tower and start pegging people off or sitting on the highway or pulling a gun out of my glove compartment and shooting somebody because they went 20 miles slower in the passing lane. So the logistics, here's my point. The, the alarmists want to go, they're doing all this to take our guns. They're going to take our guns. I want you two to tell me and think about this. How do you do that? There are what, 325 million people in this country? How many are gun owners? How are you going to muster the logistics to go to each and every home and take every single firearm? How do you do that? You don't, you can't. It's logistically impossible to do. And even if you do, you can get more. And if you can't get more, you can build them. There are gunsmiths out there. They know how to make it. You're never taking away the guns. So this alarmist, myopic, dumb attitude, and it's for dumb people that think they're coming for your guns. Biden's taking your guns. Yeah, and then Clinton was taking your guns and Bush was going to take your gun. It's, it's just to scare you. They physically can't do it. It can't be done. The army can't even stop people from crossing the fucking border. And they're going to go to every single house in the country and take your firearm. Give me a break. So stop with the alarmist bullshit. And let's talk about what we really need to talk about. Why does the average person like you and me need an AR-15? Why do we need cop killing bullets and weaponry and ammunition? We don't. I don't need to go hunting squirrels with an AR-15. I don't hunt, but I'm just saying, if I did, I'm not taking an AR-15. Right, yeah. There are certain things we need to look at and have a national discourse and people actually critically thinking instead of, I'm a Republican, I'm a Trumper, I'm a Biden, I'm this, I'm... 
This is all designed to fuck us up. This is all designed to keep you arguing with me, me arguing with you. And while we're doing that, they're getting away with murder is what's happening. We're not addressing. That's what I wanted scary things to talk about. I wanted scary things to talk about this underlying dark problem of parents that, you know, hey, we have this big, beautiful McMansion in the suburbs, but I've got to go work in the city four days a week. So um, get your little brother off the bus four days a week and make yourselves your meals. So you moved out of the city to the country to have grass and trees raise your kids. That's what you've done. So your kids are raising themselves and they will adopt the morals of what's around them. If you're not there to guide your children, but because then what do they do? Well, then they blame the schools. Well, it's the teachers. It's what they're teaching in school. It's this. The teachers have made these kids back. These teachers, look, you're only supposed to teach. You're only supposed to teach the core curriculum, right? Teachers are now, schools are now providing meals for everything. They have breakfast. They have lunch. They have after school food. They teach you how to read. They teach you how to write. They teach you how to drive. They teach you how to sew. They teach you how to cook. They teach you how to have sex. They teach you how not to have sex. They teach you how to do drugs. They teach you not to do drugs. Is there anything for parents to do anymore? Like, where is your responsibility? I had a kid one time say to me, my parents are boring while she was on her cell phone, right? And I said, your parents got boring because they had you. You see, they had lives before you came along. See, they got to go out on dates and have dinners and go on vacations without, do we have to get the kids soccer paid for? Do we have to get uniforms? Do we have to play for pay for football? Do we have to do this, that, and the other thing? And you're saying this shit on the phone your parents pay for. And the car you drive was bought by your parents, the boring parents. That's who these kids are in scary things. None of them are wanting for anything except maybe Ayla. She's got the worst of it, right? She's got the shitty household, right? With the possibly molesting boyfriend in the house, the mother's boyfriend. But otherwise, these kids come from households that it's like, what are you so angry about? Why, why do you feel that murder and doing these awful things is the way to go? Look at the little kid, right? That runs the channel. He's so obnoxious. You want to kill him. And what has he got? A $2,000 computer editing system and all. Why is this kid angry? Why is he doing this? That's what I, those are the questions I wanted asked of scary things. The monster is incidental. The monster just shows up. We already have our monsters. We meet them in the first 60 seconds of the movie when they're walking down the railway tracks. They're your monsters. Yeah. So. No, that was, and I love, I, I love the thought process behind that. And it's, yeah, it's so weird to me that, I mean, even people who are looking at this critically are just like desire to be entertained and not really thinking about yeah what, you know, what the point uh, of it is. And I, I understand there are movies that, yes, there are movies that you, you just put on to be, to be entertained, but a lot of, a lot of the stuff sure. that, people are are putting out there it's because it's personal and there's something that means something it's like let's have a conversation around what you were right, watching let's have a conversation and yeah. what you get from the reviews are oh well you know they capture this monster they make it kill people and that's it. well if that's all you got out of it i don't know what to tell you because there's a lot more in there to unpack right you know there's there's a lot there and most of all it talks about the power of the vagina 
They're all boys. Why are they doing this? Because they all in one way, they want to fuck her. That's really what it is. That's why they're doing it. It is pretty powerful. Right. (laughs) And she knows it. (laughs) She knows it. She knows all I got to do is dance a little seductively. Was she really standing in the window deliberately to undress, knowing that somebody might be watching her? Who undresses that way? Who actually stands in front of a giant window, dark outside with the light on, in your bra and panties and undressing? She had to have known somebody was watching her. We don't expressly say that she knew, but see, that's the thing. As the audience, that's your job to figure out. That's the fun of film. Like you extrapolated on Jerry. It's not about that it turned him into a bad guy. He was always a bad guy. This accentuated it. This made it, this was actually the box self was self-actualization is really what it was. That's great when somebody comes back with that. Wow, imagine that a movie made you think. A movie gives you discussion. You get to talk, you get to critique. You don't have to like what I do. I never worry about whether they liked the movie or not. Big deal. There are people that don't like Jaws. There are people that don't like Star Wars. Big deal. You didn't like my movie? Oh, well. I don't care about that. But at least try to read something more into it. I just didn't make a monster movie. I made a commentary on our kids is what I did. So that's awesome. I don't know. So let me me end with my... This may be, I don't know, this may be the easiest or the hardest question for you. We'll, so we'll see. So if somebody is just now discovering your filmography, where would you have them start? Like what film would you point to and say, watch this one first? Wow. Wow. That, I don't think I've ever been asked that. <laughs> <laughs> um, some really great questions on this podcast. Um, I want to say, I want to say The Fields. Because it goes back to when you asked me, how did you get into horror? The Fields explains a lot about me as a boy, even though I wasn't as taciturn and quiet as the actor who plays me in the movie, I never shut the fuck up. I was always, the kid in the movie is way too quiet. And I didn't direct The Fields. Um, I think The Fields, I'm happy The Fields was very, very successful. It's not the movie I I would have made um, if I had directed it but I'm very grateful that people like it and appreciate it and it's done as well and it's been received as well as it has. So I would probably arguably say the fields. Um, then I would go to Camp Dread because Camp Dread was my directing debut. And it really, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but for me, um, Camp Dread displayed a lot of the fun I had growing up watching those summer camp slasher movies. And uh, even though we had a limited budget, I think we pulled off what we needed to do. And uh, Camp Dread's a lot of fun. And I think it was Ain't It Cool News said the best description of those actors in that they're all a bunch of unlikable assholes. And I thought that was such a, Ain't It Cool News loved the movie, but I love their assessment of the kids in that because they really are unlikable assholes. And um, I seem to have a trend with that of, of directing and writing movies with un- unlikable characters. Well, so, and, it's, and it's got Eric motherfucking Roberts in it, which is yes, a huge Eric, selling point. I gotta tell you, man, Eric was a blast to work with. We loved Eric. You know when a crew loves a celebrity so much that the day after Eric was gone, so many of the crew moped. They moped around, they're like, Aww. 
I miss Eric. <laughs> I wish cool. Eric was Sweet. here. Yeah, they Eric was so giving, so nice. Um, I, I loved work, and he had stories. Like he just had so many stories, and he would at lunch. The crew would, the cast and crew would just sit around, and he was like Papa storyteller, and everybody just wanted a piece of Eric. And um, what a nice man! And I, I, I would work with him again in a heartbeat because I adored him. I adored him. That's awesome. That's nice to hear that he's he's such an amazing person as well. Because I will oh. literally watch anything that he's in. I love Eric Roberts. So and he was very giving to fans. Like we shot a couple places. Um, that were very, you know, open, like public. Ah, oh, people would come up, he'd pose, he whatever, whatever you needed, he did. That that's how he was. That to me is a movie star. Yep, yeah. he is a movie star. Yeah, yeah you know that's what? a movie star. He even answered. Someone asked him a question that I thought some movie stars would bristle and take offense, and he did not. One of one of my crew asked him, "What's the worst movie?" you ever worked on that you ever made and his reply was sharktopus <laughs> yeah i was like it has to be <laughs> has to be some from the asylum <laughs> yeah and he, and he said that and he told the whole story why but he didn't miss a beat it wasn't like you know, how dare you ask me that like he knows they're all great no <laughs> yeah, he knows the deal like yeah all right sharktopus I, i'm not proud of that one um he was very humble and uh just i I loved it. I loved every day working with Eric was a pleasure. That's so cool. That is awesome. Yep. Very sweet, kind man. Oh, and then one night I got to take him back to the hotel and uh, <laughs> which was weird. He was talking on speaker on his phone to Christopher Walken. Oh my God. And they were, and they were arguing. They, they cooked together and they were arguing over this recipe. And it's the most surreal thing to be sitting in this car and you hear you know, Christopher Walken talking like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you got Eric going, no, 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 you don't add that. You, that's too much shit. You don't put that in there. And then, you know, Walken's like, hey, what? No, you do with it. Well, Eric, like they're just yelling and I'm just sitting there driving like, this is terrific. So that would have been like the best moment of my life. That's it's so a, cool. It's a great moment. It's a terrific memory. <laughs> I would have had a, just an out-of-body experience in that. that. That's that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. my dudes and dead acts, that is I all have the... one last question. Oh, you got okay. My bad. Oh. All right, go ahead. This one's completely personal, and you won't hurt my feelings. But um, since I'm semi-local, next time you're filming, can a little nerdy podcast girl come and watch? I've never been on a movie set before. I don't want to be in your movie. I don't want to work on your sure. movie. I just want to go and see what it's like. Sure. Yes, I have, horror, I have a horror film coming up. It looks like somewhere in July. July That's August. my birthday. Okay, well, then you'll have to come out and celebrate your birthday that way. Um, I'm just waiting for the financing. I'm told by the studio that this is a, I can't say legally yet who the studio is that's financing it, but uh, they tell me everything will be ready by July. So, that's so neat. Yay! <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, I I envy you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you so much uh, again for, for spending the time with us thank today. You, thank you. It was so nice meeting you. Same here. Likewise with both of you. It's just so nice to, to talk to both of you. And 
most of all, thank you for such really sharp and top-notch questions. It's it's nice to get those and be like, you know, wow, I, I haven't really thought of that. So it's it's nice. Well, nice, nice. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you were we're gonna have a good time today. So I'm glad. And uh, if you know, now's the time that we we take. If you have anything that you would like to promote or any projects coming up, I know sure. that you have books, and we will be linking those in the sure. description of this uh, this podcast. But anything that you would uh, would like to talk guy. about, yeah. Well, I've got yeah, I am kind of busy. <laughs> <laughs> We're shooting um a Christmas film coming up this, this week uh, with Patrick Warburton. Uh, it's called Christmas Telethon. I'm not directing. Uh, Doug Henderson mm -hmm. is directing. Um, I wrote, I co-wrote it with Doug and I'm producing, uh, but for horror wise, uh, we have one called keepsake coming up. That's the one in July. And then, um, I optioned the rights. I think I put that on Twitter, but I got the rights to the story of the bone breaker serial killer. Okay. And I'm hopefully going into development. I'm already in development, you know, pre-production, but hopefully we might be shooting that in October. That's what I'm hoping. Um, uh, but I'm so very excited. Can I have clarification? The Bone Breaker was a serial killer, or are you talking about the Bone Breaker killer, that teenager? Yeah, well, the the, the teenager, he killed the two Joe kids? Clark kid, he killed two kids, and he would have killed yeah. the third. The yes. third is the one I got the story, Fad yes. Phillips. So I've got his story, and I'm working on that now, because I want this to be a story of survival, is what I want. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's insane. It's incredible. Oh yeah, my God, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I'll tell you about so, it later. Um, it's really, really, really crazy. It is. It's yeah. a crazy story. And then it's I've got uh, three books. I've got uh, two in release right now. One is on the making of Leprechaun. It's called I Need Me Gold. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, I went back and I, I got to interview the director and writer of the film, a uh, uh, number of the, the production staff, uh, producers, special effects artists, editor. Um, I didn't interview Warwick and everybody asked me, why didn't you go for Warwick? And the reason why is number one, at the time I was writing this, he was still tied up with Willow. And then the other thing was uh, Warwick wrote his own memoir and he pretty much said everything about Leprechaun in there. So it's like, why waste this man's time? I'm only going to get he, what he's going to say is, well, read my memoir, which I did. Yeah. So it's like everything that I need to know is in there. I mean, nothing's going to change from it because he went pretty detailed in a lot of stuff. So it's like, why make this guy repeat this all over again when all he has to say is, is read my book. So um, yeah. I wanted to tackle it more from a filmmaking point of view and uh, looking at the life of Mark Jones, the director and writer who very much like a kid like me. The only difference is Mark took full advantage of every opportunity that came to him. Mark didn't chase the cheerleader down the hall. So Mark, I can't, when you read the book, if you bother to read the book sometime, it's incredible how Mark Jones just made his way through the industry, through the world of animation, into live action television, writing for some of the biggest TV shows of all time, and rolling right into feature films. It's it's truly, you know, one of those stories of someone that really worked his ass off to get where he went. And um, then I have a, a book on my John Hughes life, the true story. It's called I Live the 80s. And it's about me going 
from basically, you know, the nerd to the class president. It's kind of like the Wolf of Wall Street meets Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, but it's all true. I changed all the names and all that, but it's all true. And then I have uh, another making of book on its way that'll drop, I think, at the end of June. It's publishing now uh, on the making of 1977's The Last Dinosaur with Richard Boone and Joan Van Ark. And uh, looking at this film from a point of view of, was it just bad or was there more behind it made by good people who really wanted to make, see, that's the thing. I'll end it with this too. Um, I don't believe in the word sucks because sucks is just a lazy word to say you don't like something. And um, I write in the book, it's called the why of suck. That's the chapter, the why of suck. Because suck, what it really means is to suck a dick. That's what it really means. And we forget that. Like now it's used on television and blah, blah, blah. But people forget that's what it really means. And the point is, even a movie that I hate so much, like Jaws the Revenge, doesn't suck. And the reason why it doesn't suck is because there were still some good things about it. There were still things that artists went on there and worked their ass off for to try to make, in their mind, the best that they could with what they had. Was it a good movie? It is not a good film. But there were some talented people that did their damnedest to make things work. And that goes from the caterers all the way through to the set designers. You know, there, there were good things there. It's not a good film. And in fact, in my opinion, it's not a film at all. It's just a tax write-off is all it was. But... The Last Dinosaur, I tackle the history of the kaiju genre, going back, giving an overview uh, to Ultraman and the Space Giants and Johnny Sacco and why we had a clash of two different cultures in The Last Dinosaur. You have It was a co-production between America and Japan, both with very different ideas of how a movie, a monster movie should be made. And it was with mixed results. I think that's the fairest way to say it. But I got Joan Van Ark uh, to give me all the details. I've tracked down uh, one of the, really one of the last living producers of the film, which is Benny Corzin. Uh, I got him. And Joan is the last of the American actors. She is the last dinosaur, you know? So I got her as well too. And Joan is not overall kind to the movie. You know, she said, I don't want you writing this and making me out to say that I think it's kind of like this classic. She goes, the monster is awful. I don't think it's a good film, but I know that we did our best, you know, to make it. And that's that's what I want to come out of. Awesome. And guys, like I said, all those links will be down in the description. Uh, you owe it to yourself to go check out his books, obviously his, his filmography. <laughs> I'm a big fan. So please, please, please. You are fascinating. <laughs> I could no, sit I'm and not. listen to you talk about everything for the rest of my day. Seriously, <laughs> like any longer and I would just go get a cocktail and just sit and listen to you talk. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Just, hey, could you wait? We're going to order pizza. We'll be right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll grab I actually already made my popcorn them. for the make. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, since we're so close by, one of these days we'll get Boomer up here and we'll come down and have a beer with you. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, that would you be that podcast. would be a dream. You should podcast from the beer get together. <laughs> that would yeah, be that, fucking awesome. I would, that yeah, would, I would be do that. amazing. Yeah, beer. Cast. All right, write that down, boom. 
All right. Yep. It's 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 going on the calendar. We're gonna figure it out. It's going in the calendar. Uh, all right, guys. Well, don't go anywhere. We are coming right back, and when we do, we are going to be talking about the special. Groovy. All right, guys. We are back, and it is time to talk about the film that we are here to talk about, and that is the special. And I I brought this one to the table. This was my choice. And surprise, surprise. <laughs> exactly. This is right up Boomer's alley. And I mean, how how awesome was that to get to talk to the director before we, we kind of get into this film? He is absolutely fascinating. I mean this in the nicest possible way. It might come across a little dry, but I don't mean it to be. I have never met somebody who is so passionate about every single opinion that they have. That's an interesting person to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, just, yeah. I love people that go off on tangents, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I like, I like hearing, I like hearing, and I also like hearing perspectives that are kind of close to mine. A lot of the things he said I agreed with. Um, and I just think filmmakers in general are just so cool. Like they're just so interesting. Yeah. And I anybody creative. I'm not creative. No, not me. I, I, I try to be, <laughs> I, I hope I'm a little bit, but, but yeah. I can make recipes out of my head. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But I can't, I can't draw anything. I can't even draw a stick figure let alone write a script or book or make movies. And he does all of it. It's very impressive. And from getting to interact with him on Twitter, I knew that he was just a, a little bit different. And I'm glad that I got to talk with him and just see, you know, his his thought process, on not only uh, creatively, but just on, on things. And I, I love that. It's like, fuck the critics. Like, would you pay attention to what I'm trying to do? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I love that Be because, yeah. And I, I mean also really love a director or a writer that will say, this isn't for me to tell you, you tell me what you think it's about. Yeah. I know what it's about, but you tell me and to actually be interested to hear that. Right. You is, know, yeah. Yeah. Th you know, I, I, I made this so that people will think, and that's, that, that, that's awesome. So yeah. This was your first time watch again because this this was my pick and I'm like I really want Gabby to watch this film and the reason I wanted you to watch this film was because I liked it so much the first time it it made me it, it did it made me think and it made I, I love a film that makes me feel something and and this one certainly did that but what was your first time watch with this one like revolting I can, I can see that. Yeah. Because I don't want to give, I think I can say this without spoiling it because I'm spoiling it with the wrong answer. Um, I, th I thought he was like touching his own ejaculate. That grossed me out so fucking bad. I found this movie to be really disturbing and it is layered so on my initial watch, I, I will admit I didn't care for it. it. It to me was no offense. It was a boomer pick. 
<clears throat> but then the more I thought about it, it was like, oh, wow, like this is really it, because it does stick with you, whether you like it or not, after you leave your first viewing, it does stay with you. I think that's a mark of a really great horror movie. If it stays with you one way or the other, they did more than their job. So, I mean, I've thought about it a lot since I watched it and but it's gross it certainly is it, it is it's it's gross some of the the con not not only the practical effects in it which are outstanding in places the I mean that last transformation scene is horrifying is it's just a, it's absolutely gross and horrifying but some of the concepts in this film are are gross as well it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's an uncomfortable watch and I liked how he said that like he wanted he wanted people to watch this film and have a conversation with their significant other on the way home I thought that was like pretty fucking brilliant <laughs> so yeah I, but I'm with you like this I could not get this movie out of my head like for a number of different reasons because one some of those images yes get kind of burned into your brain and you just can't get them out out of there but also I I, I thought about this and so I will lean and I will uh I'll, I'll go ahead and, and take the reins and talk about some of the stuff that I did like about the movie and and you know and then then you can follow up but one of the things that I thought this did really well is even though you're following Jerry and he's kind of a fucking asshole, uh, like we've already talked about, because we, we've we broken this down with the director a little bit, but yeah, yeah. Jerry's a fucking jerk. I, I actually kind of liked the character of Mike. I, I really did. I didn't like him as like a person, uh, but there was just something about him, even though they were both kind of dude bros um, that I don't know. They were fuck boys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and maybe it was was the acting or something, but I I don't know what it was. But I I really really uh, I I liked him. I, obviously, I like I like Lisa. But the thing was, is you're you're mainly following the Jerry. This is kind of Jerry's story in this. And even though there are character, our main character, I was going to say protagonist, but he's not really a protagonist. Even though that he he has a name and you're following him, he's kind of a blank canvas in the best possible way I don't and I don't mean that he's not well written I don't mean that he's not nuanced but it's like you're able somehow and I don't know how they do this but you're able to kind of place yourself into his position in a way and I'm not talking about his decisions but it's like when I'm watching the movie I'm thinking about like what are the things that I struggle with and how are these things bringing me down uh, what is it that is causing my own destruction? And those are some of the things and some of the thoughts that were going through my head as I'm watching this movie. And so it's not like, oh yeah, you know, I would love to just go fuck a box, but you know, it's it's kind of his his downfall that I was putting myself into, and that is one of the things that I that caused this film to be so powerful for me. I had two things running through my head the entire time I was watching it. The first one, what's in the box? Yep, that, that might be. What you're talking yep. about? Yep. Yep. And it's my dick in a box. <laughs> the entire time. 
That's so funny. I didn't. As put... soon as I turned that off, I as soon as the movie was over, I had to watch Dick in a Box. <laughs> I didn't yeah. even. I mean, I got the Dick in the Box. Uh, you know, I put that reference together, but I did not put the seven reference. I I didn't even think about that. That's that's really funny. What's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Several <laughs> times, several times out loud, just to myself. What's in the box? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Especially when he went and got those bolt cutters. It's like, we're going to find out what's in the box. And so, yeah. it is weird. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now were you like me and, and like this may movie kind of, I don't know, brought up feelings uh, or brought up, you know, these thoughts, you know, of wrestling with whatever it is that you struggle with or, um, you know, how did this movie, how did you receive, re- receive this one? I received this movie as a woman should receive this movie. Um, it's just like he said, it, it's, it's, it's a movie that well represents women. Yeah. Um, um, which is shocking because it's written by two men. So I would love to know what the writer's life experiences were too. I mean, I think it's really cool to hear uh, Harrison's, um, perspective and where he came from in directing it but I would love to know what their experiences are in life but like the Jerry is the embodiment of every every woman at one point in their life will have a relationship with a Jerry yeah so you know like I, I can see where you're coming from as a man that it makes you think about your struggles and you know things that you go through and how you handle situations it did not make me think that at all I I not one time did that cross my mind but I can see where it did because you identify with him as a man yeah so you're seeing the worst traits of yourself or traits that you don't have but you know you could have so I get that I saw it from a women, from a woman's perspective that, and just as females, we're always looking for some sort of empowerment. We're always looking for something to build us ourselves up and make us feel equal to men. I think Jerry is the type of man who's always looking for empowerment. So he can always be above. He doesn't want the equality. He doesn't want anybody to be equal to him. He wants the empowerment because he wants the power. And there to me was absolutely nothing likable from the opening scene about him. Oh no, not at all. To till the end. Absolutely nothing at all. Him or Mike. I didn't like either of them. No, yeah, and I I, I get that. And before we get into um any negatives that you might have, or you know, if there was if there was something you wanted to see or or something like that, I'll we'll go ahead and do the IMDB. So the special. IMDb synopsis says, suspecting his wife of infidelity, maybe, Jerry follows his friend down a dark rabbit hole into a horror landscape of addiction. And that, I like that synopsis. That's that's pretty good. Of course, we have already talked about that this was directed by B. Harrison Smith. The writers were... My friend. <laughs> He's our new friend. Yeah, exactly. New, new friend of the show, B. Harrison Smith. Uh, <laughs> The prolific <laughs> Phil Baker. Exactly. 
the writers were James Newman and Mark Strinsland. Uh, Jerry was played by Davey Ralphley, uh, Mike by Dave Sheridan, Lisa by Sarah French, Doug Henderson, Susan Moses, Paul Cotman, and others starred in this in this film. And overall, I thought the 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 acting was done really well. In fact, I don't know what it was, even though he's like a small role, but like the Russian guy in, in that. I really liked liked him as the like the 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 Russian bodyguard. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought that uh, this movie was actually really well acted. I did too. Yeah. Especially after Harrison told us that the guy who played Jerry is actually a really great guy. He's a hell of an actor because <laughs> I don't know that if I, if I didn't, if I hadn't spoken to the director, if I by chance were to run into that actor, I don't know that I would ask for a selfie because he seems like a dick. Yeah. So good for him. Great acting. Exactly. Yeah, that would be funny if he came on there. He's like, man, yeah, he's actually a really big asshole. Uh, no. <laughs> he just played himself. That guy's a dick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently he's he's a really good actor because in real life, he's a super nice, super nice guy. Um, and I always love that. And I loved his, his we're not going to get into that because we're not talking about the special, but the stories of like, Eric Roberts and Christopher Walken, like how cool was that? I can't, not even. I know. I would. That's why I was not embarrassed at the end to ask him, "Can I please come hang out with you someday?" <laughs> exactly. I don't want to. I'm I do too. Yeah, my head would have would have literally exploded. Um, but we'll get into. Yeah, um, dear Harrison, I wasn't kidding. You'll be hearing from me. <laughs> We just showing up I on hope set. I you're serious because stalk your ass. Yeah, I'll make up my own little like press credentials, little fake press credentials. I, no, we don't need fake. We don't need fake press credentials. We are me. press. Yeah, exactly. We are the press. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's okay. He knows me. Are we press? <laughs> I don't know. We're something. I don't know. We're well. We are something. Exactly. We are something. Yeah. Are you with the press? Well, we are something. <laughs> Or something. I will take that for now. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> what does at least you know for for you? What does the what does the special not do right? Or what are some negative aspects? I toward the end, and I told you this. I did check out. I think that it got to a point that watching it from a woman's perspective, it did get to be a little much. And you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can't say because of spoilers, but um, it got to be a little much. Or wait, did we talk about it in the interview? I can't remember. No, we didn't. We didn't spoil the movie. We didn't say that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it got to be too much. It got to be a little too. I've known too many guys like this. I, I just want him to die. That is not a spoiler. I did not say if he does or not. I'm just saying. I wanted him to. Yeah, he got a, a little too unlikable. And when it got to the end and there was finally some feeling of something other than pride and narcissism, it was actually his narcissism that made him have that feeling of you know and it 
he was he got as a character he just got to a point that I, and he's in every single scene he's he's the star of every single scene so he it, I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore I think that's the only thing and I can't say that that's something that it did wrong it's just what I didn't like yeah no and I I, I and that I thing that. was gross it was gross but it, they didn't do that wrong no either gross yuck and I, I like those kind of things. I like it. I when, know you do. When a movie can make you go, what the fuck did I just watch? I, I absolutely love it when a movie could do that to me. And I certainly did the first time that I watched this. I had no idea what I was in for and it paid that off. And it's funny because I kind of feel like we just talked to Duncan about Cemetery Man. And we asked him whenever we were talking about that movie, like, what does this movie do, do wrong? And he's like, doesn't do anything wrong, you know? And he understands that the movie has flaws. And so that's kind of the answer that I'm going to give in, in this. It's like, I know that this is not a perfect film. Like, I understand that it, it's, you know, very rare or impossible for a film to be, to be perfect. But for me, this movie doesn't do anything, anything wrong. Nothing that I can put my finger on. I, I love the commentary. I love the acting. I love the aesthetic of the movie. I love that it grosses you out. I love that it causes you to think. I love that it causes you me love to... anything that grosses me out. The feel, not you in particular. I'm just. I'm joking. I'm joking. You I'm joking. as in the public. I know. So. I really adore all of these aspects of the movie. And so for me to say like, this is what it does wrong. I cannot, I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't think of anything um, that it does, that it does wrong for me. So I am at a, I'm, I'm at a loss. This is like one of the first times, one of the first times, cause I, there have been a few movies where I'm like, Oh, it's a, it's a masterpiece. Um, and I don't know if it, if it is a masterpiece, but it's really really good uh and and you know at least for me this is right up right up my alley yeah because it's gross because it's gross okay so we did it we we got to interview the director and got through the the special we talked a little bit about that but what we didn't do and i'm curious to know is your rating of this movie so gabby on a scale of one to five what are you giving the special Oh, and one other bonus question. Would you recommend this movie to, to someone? Now, not, not your general, not like your mother or something, but like, um, would just you... Fellow horror fans? Yeah, just a fellow horror fan. A horror fan like us or a casual horror fan? A horror fan like us. Somebody, somebody that's initiated. Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. You need to be initiated to get it. Um, that's not, not to say that anybody that's not to intimidate anybody and that's not to put myself above anybody else I'm not saying it like that I'm just saying that there are elements to this story that um you have to have seen a lot of really disturbing things already because out of context the disturbing things that you see in this film would be not really anything to think about but in context this movie is incredibly disturbing uh, as far as my rating, three and a half. Oh my goodness, that's I'm I'm happy. That's that that is that is really good. Okay, I'm. I know I like something that makes me think. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, and and it certainly does. So, with all the things that I said, this is a four and a half out of five for me. 
And it doesn't, because again, I know that there, there's something there and it's not a perfect film. However, it is a film that I, I adore and it's one that I have seen three or four times now. I think it is ambitious. Uh, I think that it's that it's gross and weird, which which I like. So it's it's it scores very very high for me. Okay, so you've seen it three or four times before. Will you watch it again? Will this? Okay, will this become one of those movies that you watch so many times because this is the type of movie that like I'm in the mood to watch the special. Is this no. that kind of movie? For you. No, so it's it's never going to be one of those movies where it's like, oh, it's Friday. Let me get some pizza and watch the special. <laughs> uh, it's it's not one of those, but there are times that it's like, you know what? I feel like being challenged, and every now and then, like I will come to a movie like Martyrs, which I've seen a few times, or uh, like House of the Devil, or something like that, where it's not like the most. And I know that those are are, are widely different. I'm not saying that. House of the Devil is disturbing or anything, but um, there there are films. The Devil is really good. Yeah, exactly. It, it is really good. But there there are films that make me think and challenge me that I want to watch every now and then. And this is definitely one of them. So is this you know is this popcorn entertainment that I'm going to be watching all the time? No. But is this something that is definitely going to be in my rotation every now and then? Absolutely. I really enjoy this one. I probably won't ever watch it again. Well, that's fair. I mean, that that is fair. That's fair. No offense to Harrison. It's just, I, ew, it's gross. <laughs> it is gross. <laughs> well, and he accomplished his goal. We we're having a conversation uh, about this film. We had a conversation with him, which again. I think that we should say, though, if you are a fan of The Fly, Jeff Goldblum, Fly, mm -hmm. right? Watch this. That's true. The transformation scene, no spoiler, I'm not saying what I'm talking about. The transformation scene is ill. Ill. It's incredible. It it really is incredible. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing that, you know, you have all of these giant how Harrison was talking about like the big budget, the the superhero movies and all this shit mm -hmm. and all the CGI and all that. Look at what the hell can be accomplished with practical effects. It really, it really makes me, it makes me miss Sabini. It was that good. It was. Yeah. yeah, that, that, that ending scene was, was spectacular. So it's, yeah, that's worth the price. I didn't of say when it was, you just did. You spoiled. Sorry. Okay. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't but me this time. That, Yay. that scene, wherever it is in the movie is spectacular. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe i lied no well that is yes that is it for us if you would like to follow us you can do so on twitter or instagram at woods podcast one download the slasher app and you can find us on there at podcast in the woods or if you would like to support the show in a more monetarily way i don't know how to say that that was awful but fuck just it. like christina slickham jones yeah exactly if you would like to uh, support the show in that way, you can do so and every single dollar that you donate will absolutely go to the show and making it better so that we can make the things better for you. And that is patreon.com forward slash Woods Podcast or uh, yeah, Woods Podcast. That's how it is. 
I am terrible at this. And you can also find us at Podcast in the Woods on Facebook. That is correct. Am I am I right about that one, Gabby? Don't know how to make a URL. Go to Facebook, search Podcast in the Woods. You'll find our logo. There you go. I am. One of these days, I'm going to get better at this. But until that day, we love you and we love our listeners. And say goodnight, Gabby. Good night. Don't put your dick in a box. Good night. And until next time, stay scary.